वेलकम बैक टू मिड डे मैटर्स आई एम दर्शन महाराज एंड टुडे आई एम टॉकिंग अबाउट दिस होल डाइवर्सिटी थिंग मल्टीकल्चरलिज्म द होल शबैंक बिकॉज आई हैव अ क्वेश्चन एंड सो फार अमंग द पीपल दैट आई हैव हैड कन्वर्सेशंस विथ आई हैव नॉट गॉट अ सेटिस्फैक्टरी आंसर व्हिच इज कैन देयर बी टू मच डाइवर्सिटी बिकॉज करंट पॉलिटिकल डॉगमा इफ यू कैन कॉल इट दैट इन कैनेडा इज दैट देयर इज नो लिमिट टू द अमाउंट ऑफ डाइवर्सिटी that uh, we can have in canada and uh, to me it looks like there has to be a dividing line between diversity and tower of babel where there was a tremendous diversity which led to the downfall of that civilization now happily i have uh, in studio today uh, people's party of canada candidate for mississauga center david mcalif who will expound his views on this because i'm uh, quite uh, sure that uh, he has very strong views on this uh, welcome to the studio david thanks for having me and uh, let's start with uh, this main question which is uh, you know how far is diversity good for a society and are we on the current path um i think it depends on what kind of diversity you're talking about mm-hmm. if you're talking about a diversity in regards to how things are viewed a diversity of experience mm-hmm. uh, that's a good thing right but if you amount diversity just to ethnicity and skin color then it right. doesn't necessarily add anything of value um so i th- i think I think we're putting too much of an emphasis on that. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's your only focus, mm-hmm. you kind of lose the plot. Right. And we have seen that uh, in the last election for example, I live in Brampton and uh, we have five ridings in Brampton, uh, three main parties at the time, uh, conservative, liberal and uh, NDP in no particular order. So 15 candidates out of which uh, 12 were Sikh. So that I see that as uh, the opposite of diversity. Right now, Brampton. Uh, you ask any elected official in Brampton at whatever level, they will keep claiming that Brampton is the most diverse city in Canada. <laughs> But I didn't see that in the candidates' field. Which uh, brings us to your uh, uh, main point here, which is that uh, instead of looking at just diversity of uh, ethnicity, of race, religion, even sexual orientation. we have to also look for diversity of opinions and where we are seeing a kind of a, i can call it a movement uh, both in politics as well as in academia where uh, uniformity appears to be the goal so how would people's party of canada go about uh, tackling something that appears to be very well entrenched well one of our policies is really to reinforce uh, free speech in canada mm-hmm. you're right that we've seen in growing frequency people uh brigading against mm-hmm. speakers mm-hmm. or or individuals that they don't they don't agree with or they don't like like jordan mm-hmm. peterson is a very famous example mm-hmm. where he you know was a, supposed to be a speaker and there's just ton, tons of protests because they don't necessarily agree mm-hmm. with what he's saying which is not what he's saying is not necessarily bad they just because they don't agree with it mm-hmm. they try to to push that kind of speech uh outside of the the dialogue yeah you know a couple of days ago i uh, stumbled onto a video of a court case and now this is from the us so there are limitations typically i try to stay away from um, you know us <laughs> events but this one seems applicable which is that uh, about 40 years ago there was a, a court case involving a gentleman who had um, started a political party called national socialist party of america okay 
which is basically the American version of the Nazi party's name, <laughs> National Socialist, right? right? And he was an ardent Nazi. And he wanted to hold uh, uh, public meetings in a park where uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King had held rallies. And he was denied that permission. He went to court and the court said that no matter how repulsive his views may be, he has a right to hold that meeting. Right. Now, that was the legal opinion, of course, in a different jurisdiction, but we can uh, relate to that. We can imagine it being the same in Canada. From there, we have moved to a point where if someone has um, any views that are uh, unacceptable to the social justice warrior <laughs> brigades, then they are shut down. Right. And that uh, definitely has to lead to uh, diminishing of um, the quality of the dialogue. And which is where, uh, you know, this discussion becomes very uh, relevant because I saw also an article in the New York Times about how, you know, a push for diversity leads to anti-excellence. Now, this has to be debated because I'm not sure if it leads to anti-excellence. What do you think? Um, well, I think it comes down to whether if you're trying to push for diversity again, because you're looking at it from something that's skin deep. Mm -hmm. I think most Canadians like to think that we live in a meritocracy, right. where if you advance, if you get to a certain point, it's because you've earned it through hard work right. uh, and talent and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, if you start to push quotas mm -hmm. onto, onto society, then the people that will get in will not be necessarily the most fit for that position and over time definitely you'll see a decrease in in the quality and if you try to maintain that kind of diversity quota then eventually you'll have to actually decrease the standards i believe i read an article recently about uh, the rcmp special forces mm -hmm. that they were having issues because they weren't able to meet their female quota and so okay. there was a talk about decreasing the standards so that women uh, could get in, but that's obviously not a good thing. As a, you know, someone who's in the special forces or RCMP or mm -hmm. or military, you want people that are able to do the job first. That's most important, especially if lives are at stake, including their own lives, right? Because part of their job is getting in harm's way, yeah, just to protect people, and we respect them for that. The the respect has to be well earned, and without putting them in harm's way, we have to somehow try and achieve that objective of uh, uh, equity. Yeah. But not by diluting standards. But my problem is also with the optics part of it, because someone belonging to that category who qualified for that position of merit will still be seen as a quota hire. Yeah, for sure. If you if you get in and people know that there is uh, a quota to be fit, you, you probably won't be. Uh, taken as seriously, you may not be respected because people will think that the reason you are there is because mm -hmm. you won this sort of lottery mm -hmm. and not that you earned it. Now, talking about your uh, riding, yes. Mississauga Center, um, Omar Al-Gabra is the current uh, MP from that uh, riding. He has been in politics for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has, uh, in fact, this whole narrative about diversity and uh, voting for people just because of uh, their identity is uh, also very well entrenched and he's a well entrenched politician himself. So how do you go about convincing voters to vote for you? It's about 
what are the values that they hold and mm-hmm. what are they looking for in a member of parliament and someone who represents them? Are they really interested in someone that just represents them by skin color? Mm-hmm. Not that everyone in the riding has the same color or right. ethnicity. Right. Or are they interested more in someone that will actually speak to their beliefs and, and do something that's within their their values, something that they're looking like? Maybe they want lower taxes or mm-hmm. they want these kinds of things. Those aren't going to be... Um, resolved just because of your skin color it's so right now you know it's about making a trade-off at some point because you can't have all the things that you desire you have to make a trade-off not just in the political arena but also in economy and uh, the most uh, burning issue uh, pardon the pun is uh, oil sector in alberta <laughs> uh, where of course there is a valid uh, uh, you know valid uh, contention on one side for preservation of ecology and now as chance would have it i am actually in contact with someone who lives on the coast where uh, that famous J pod of orcas makes its home. Mm-hmm. And uh, from time to time, I see wonderful videos that they have shot. They just went out in a boat, uh, you know, kayak or something, a short distance away into the ocean. And uh, they take a video. It's a beautiful, pristine uh, area. Um, and we are lucky to have that in Canada. So preservation of that is definitely a priority. At the same time, it cannot come at the expense of the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of people. So how do you achieve this balance? You definitely need to find a compromise. But I think the first thing you need to do is you need to be realistic about what you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, we, The oil and gas industry is important for the uh, Canadian economy. It's, mm-hmm. it's a part of it. We are a export rich country it's mm-hmm. just the nature of, of our country we can't we can't get away from that um, we definitely have to implement more environmentally friendly mm-hmm. uh, processes and and push for environmental stewardship mm-hmm. um, I think the concern is just the extent to which people want to push it mm-hmm. um, you need to still you need the money to implement these kinds of changes right. so you need to support the industries that allows us to have mm-hmm. a revenue that allows us to move forward in a greener way. You know, I have lived in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and their major source of income is oil. Uh, You see the kind of development that they have done. And even when I was there, which was like at least 15 years ago, I was seeing a public discourse on uh, what to do after oil. So, you know, they have been using the money that they get from oil to invest in other development tourism being one of them, but that's not the only one. They are also building up information technology hubs and establishing free zones where uh, foreign companies can come in and, you know, base uh, use that as a base for operating in a big region all the way to Africa and uh, Central Asia. Now, you look at the roads over there, you know, every 15, 20 feet, there is a date palm tree. And in season, you see even dates growing on that. The fruit is, uh, you know, like uh, plentiful over there and flowers, everything. Uh, Each road is divided by about seven or eight feet uh, wide divider. And then they use that space uh, to grow flowers. It's desert, so they have to even import the soil. But... You know, the point that I'm trying to make here is that if they can look at uh, using oil revenues 
to prepare for life after oil because they know at some point it's going to end. Why can't we here? What is the factor that causes the policy paralysis? It has to do with uh, climate change. And obviously the media and the politicians and those that have a higher, I guess, profile in society mm -hmm. have been pushing this narrative that climate change um, is impending doom. Mm -hmm. And I would look at the scientists and see what they say. I think the problem is we've had so many predictions and we've had such a back and forth of mm -hmm. we have, you know, 18 months left, we have 10 years left, we have 15 years left, mm -hmm. and these things don't come to pass. I think people have become a little numb to it. But the other ones that, that do buy into this narrative feel like if we don't do something right now, mm -hmm. um, then we're doomed. And we're not doomed. Canada, we're doomed on a global scale. Mm -hmm. So the reason they want to remove oil is because carbon dioxide is, is the reason for the climate change. And so obviously, you know, you're correlating the oil you're taking out of the ground, mm -hmm. you know, our oil and gas industry, and mm -hmm. then putting it in the air and that's the problem so for them it's about getting completely shutting down that industry mm -hmm. locally and worldwide so that we can take a step into rectifying this issue but in the meantime we still need oil and everything that is derived from that right so we're shutting down canadian pipeline going into the maritimes and then feeding maritimes with saudi arabian oil right i think again it comes down to you have to approach this. There's a compromise somewhere and it has to be looked at re in a pragmatic way that you can't just shut off the taps and then, you know, it'll change climate change tomorrow. It's it's a matter of we need to understand that these things take time. You have to build the infrastructure. It's a progressive uh, thing that we need to do within society. And But until then, we still need the oil. And it doesn't make sense for Canada to basically... Um, shut off its oil and gas industry if you have other countries like mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that are, you know, willing to take on that global burden of supplying the demand, uh, the supply for the demand. That's right. Because, uh, and I've made this point um, many times before, which is that uh, about 10, 11 years ago, we used to hear about peak oil. Right that uh, oil production had peaked and it could only go downhill from there. At that point, the global demand was 75 million barrels a day. Now, today, and that was supplied. Today, the, the demand is 100 million barrels a day and it is still supplied. Right. So, all the scientific uh, assessments of having reached peak oil, uh, maybe they will apply at some point in time, <laughs> but did not apply 10 years ago. Right. Uh, they were off the mark uh, by at least a few decades. So, this uh, kind of overselling of the message is uh, what makes a lot of people skeptical about it. And then uh, from politicians, we uh, get branded as deniers. Right. And uh, Minister McKenna is on record as having used that word, deniers. How do you convince people and uh, having convinced them, how do you motivate them to work for a uh, compromise solution? That this is a serious problem, but uh, we are not going to uh, take any drastic measures that will impact everyone's economic well-being. I think the first thing you need to make Canadians realize that um, our global emissions only account for 1.6%. Mm -hmm. If you look at China, for example, they're like at 26%. Right. So even if you were to decrease our emissions by, let's say, half, mm -hmm. um, 
you still have other countries like China mm-hmm. um, that we rely on for a lot of our products mm-hmm. to basically continue to to emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. It doesn't make sense for us to basically set ourselves on fire to keep others warm in a manner of speaking, <laughs> right? Good one. Yeah, and the other thing is, is China, for example, has been building one coal plant on average every week since 2016. Yes. So you want to destroy our oil and gas economy, but then you have, again, countries like China that just kind of do whatever they want. And it's not that I'm saying that we shouldn't do anything. We should definitely move forward, try to transition to, let's say, nuclear power, mm-hmm. uh, try to implement more wind energy, mm-hmm. try to not ship all our trash to the third world countries that are just going to dump them into the ocean anyway. Right. Um, we can do better for sure. But we have to, again, we have to be pragmatic and we have to be realistic. I think Canadians um, or Canada would have a much better impact on climate change if we were able to... Uh, convince or put pressure on countries that actually do the majority of the polluting. Yesterday, I was, uh, you know, making a point and it came to me suddenly that every solution that we implement uh, gives rise to new problems. Right. That's the way things work in the world. <laughs> and uh, I was just thinking of a couple of examples. Of course, nuclear, a lot of people have apprehensions about that because of Chernobyl and Fukushima. Right. So that is one uh, obstacle to surmount, which is uh, mainly perception. Well, if I can make just a quick comment, mm-hmm. uh, 60% of the electricity in Ontario comes from nuclear. Yes, so, there is a plant near Pickering, I believe. Yeah. Right. And uh, over uh, in BC, you have uh, the controversy surrounding uh, Site C, which is supposed to be a huge source for uh, hydroelectricity. Right. But it has its own challenges. Once you implement that, you are going to necessarily impact on nature. Yes. Now, the whole climate issue is about nature. So if you are trying to implement a problem that brings a whole host of new problems on the same front, then you have to examine whether you are choosing the right option or not. So these are the complicated issues. And uh, uh, given that, uh, you know, most of Canadians are going to be focusing on these only during the campaign period after the rate is dropped. Your time is uh, pretty short, <laughs> about five weeks. Yeah. And uh, you have an uphill task getting this uh, very complex uh, series of arguments across to people and have them ac- uh, accept it. So how do you propose to do that? Well, I do have a website. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone listening can go on it. It's davidmikalef.ca. My name is david, M-I-C-A-L-E-F, F as in fox, dot C-A. Mm-hmm. And I... And I outline how we can tackle some of these issues. Um, It's about going door to door. It's about being part of public debates Mm -hmm. and trying to explain the idea behind it and how we can solve it. Very important because, you know, what happens is and there is this incumbency advantage uh, that any government has, no matter where you go in the world, there is an incumbency advantage because they... In their regular course of functioning, they get a lot of media coverage and therefore their ideas are propagated throughout, whereas you are limited basically to five weeks. Yeah. Um, how is the demographics in your uh, in your writing? Um, it's mixed. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's about 50% white, 50% uh, South Asian. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, <laughs> that's how it. About the, how about the age groups? Um 
I, again, I think it's also mixed in, in the particular area that I live in within my writing. It tends to be those of an older demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in Mississauga Center, which is mm-hmm. you know right by square one. Mm-hmm. And as you gravitate closer to the actual square one proper, you tend mm-hmm. to get the younger families where I'm kind of on the outskirts and you seem to have a older groups. Because that appears to me to be a very key demographic. It was in 2015 as well, uh, which may have contributed to Justin Trudeau's success. But off late, I'm finding that uh, in the younger demographic, a lot of uh, uh, voters or first-time voters are uh, kind of disaffected. They don't like what is uh, being done the way the government is addressing certain issues that are close to them. I'll give you one example. Uh, this uh, group of uh, teenagers was uh, in high school uh, last time around in 2015 and they were looking forward to being able to vote in 2019 and uh, as they became 18 years old and are now just waiting they realized that uh, the uh, transit amount tax credit was removed by Justin Trudeau and uh, to them it was a huge thing Because they were also, while they were waiting to vote in 2019, they were also waiting to work somewhere, earn some income, and then on their tax return to claim that transit amount tax credit. Because it was important to them. That is the way they see their participation because they're smart. They know that it's only these individual uh, small actions that are going to collectively make a big difference like, you know, one drop and then it ultimately makes like Ontario. So that's how they were seeing it and therefore they are, uh, at least some of them, are uh, very disappointed with the way the government policy has gone. So that could be a a key demographic for anyone wanting to make uh, inroads into, uh, you know, that uh, pool of votes. So you will probably have to tailor something around that. Any ideas on that? Well, the People's Party of Canada is looking to significantly decrease income tax and business tax. Mm -hmm. So for the first $15,000 that you earn, it's Mm tax-free. Between $15,000 up to $100,000, it's 15%. Mm -hmm. And anything above $100,000 is 25% tax. So that's much less than what we have now. Mm -hmm. And that's across the board. In addition, if if you have a business or you're looking to start a business, we're going to be dropping the tax rate to 10% across mm-hmm. the board. So whether you're a large business or a small business, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. The amount of tax that one pays is different. But, you know, there is a body of literature on these boutique tax credits. Right. And there are arguments for and against. But if I'm looking at it from a, uh, from a political point of view, through a political lens, then I see the value of making people realize that they are getting X amount of tax credit for certain type of activity. Because it's not about uh, optics at that point. It's about uh, a sense of participation. So maybe that is something that you can uh, look into. All right. Any final words? <laughs> you you kind of got me on the spot there. <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, you can say anything you want. No, no, free. I'm a free speech guy. I'm a free speech guy. Um, yeah. No, not really. I think uh, the biggest challenge with the People's Party is that we're a relatively new party. Right. And as you mentioned before, the, the incumbent rights, everyone knows the Liberal Party. They know the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest challenges really is to get um, awareness of the People's Party. Mm-hmm. So anyone that that, you know, 
I would invite them to to go to peoplespartyofcanada.ca. Also check out my website, davidmikaleff.ca, and and read a little bit on uh, the People's Party. Uh, pretty much all the candidates are just everyday Canadians. They're not hardened career politicians or that kind of thing. So you're getting um, you're getting people that are genuine and that are actually interested in making life better for Canadians, and that's reflected in the platform as well. So. Yeah, I've heard a couple of them on uh, this show. Right. Tahir Gura I've known for a number of years, uh, and Pretty was also on yeah. this show, and hopefully I'll uh, get some others. I'm particularly keen to get um, uh, views from Mississauga because uh, that's our core audience. Right. And I'm happy that you could make it here. Oh, the thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. That is uh, David uh, McAuliffe of People's Party of Canada uh, running for election in this October from Mississauga Centre. We'll continue this discussion and we'll stay on the political track on the other side of this break. Stay tuned.